Good morning, Dr. Gary here. On the road, we sell dental practices nationwide. So today's topic is going to be dealing with the issues a first-time buyer has, especially in a large purchase with real estate. So we'll get into that, what, what happens with those first-time buyers. Anyway, so we are now, excuse me, time for sunglasses. Woo, it's sunny out. About time. So dealing with um, uh, with, uh, something about our company first. We've now been in business 12 years. I was a dentist for 25 years. We're in 26 states now. We have 10 employees. We just opened up Texas, and that's exciting. We're available to you 363 days a year. We take off Christmas and Easter. You can reach us from 7.30 a.m. until 9.30 p.m. We pick up the phone all the time. So give us a call. Our phone number is 201-663-0935. The website is Dental Practice Guide, G-O-I-D-E, dentalpracticeguide.com. You know, on there you'll see some good articles, you'll see some of the practices we've already sold, which are many, and uh, you know, I find it quite informative. The information I'm about to share with you is for entertainment purposes only. It's not legal or business advice. All right? So anyway, what's today's topic? Dealing with these first-time buyers. First, sellers, you've got to put yourself in, in their position. You know, go back 35, 40 years when you did this. It's, it's a nerve-wracking process. Now, for many of the buyers, this will be a first-time purchase. So you can understand what they're going through. They're nervous. They've never bought anything on this size, this magnitude of this. Maybe they bought a house, maybe not. But this could very well be the first time. So not only is it overwhelming, but they try to start figuring out their living expenses. Will the practice pay for the living expenses? And try to tailor the practice price to that. Well, you can't do that because uh, the value of a dental practice is a standalone. has nothing to do with your financial requirements. What this buyer should do, and this is some of the issues we deal with, they should maintain their present employment where they're getting a steady paycheck. And work your practice in, let's say, if your practice is a little smaller, work it in on the side. And then as soon as the numbers start coming in, then go full-time into the practice. This way it takes the burden. But here's the problem with these new buyers. They're not accustomed to purchasing a large uh, practice in a dental office. It's just, it's overwhelming. And they default back to their present job where they could be making two seventy-five, three hundred, three hundred fifty thousand, And they think that that is safe harbor. It's not safe harbor because you saw what happened with the pandemic. A lot of the buyers either lost their job or the hours got cut. And yes, they may be back in action now, but something else could happen. I don't know what it is. So there were quite a few buyers that basically woke up and said they'll work on their own dream instead of somebody else's. But there's still plenty of buyers out there that have the comfort of working for corporate and don't want to leave until they find a perfect situation. I try to explain to these buyers, look, it's almost impossible to get you real estate and a dental practice and it cash flows and you can get a bank loan 
<clears throat> and you're pleased with it, and the commute is not too far, and you like the equipment, you like the staff, you like the town. Well, yeah, so maybe price is the difference. What the buyers are not used to is negotiating, especially on big ticket items. And when you're buying a dental office, you are getting a, a money-generating business. So you're going to make the money back even if you overpay 10 or 15%. I'm not telling you to overpay if you want to consider it that. But it maybe you call it paying a premium. I don't know. But you're going to make money from this. And then the legitimate business write-offs are very hot. A lot of things you can do that legitimately. Ask your tax advisors about that. Then also, um, just being self-employed gives you peace of mind. You can't be fired. Yes, yeah, something could go wrong and something could happen with one of the patients, but that could happen in there working for somebody else too. You're going to have autonomy. You're going to own something your own if you buy the real estate. You're going to feel great about yourself, and the patients will pick up on the fact that you, the buyer, owns this real estate. You're going to be here for a while. But dealing with a first-time buyer, it's hard for them to get their arms around these things. Hard for them to spend a dollar more than they can figure out what they can uh, comfortably afford. Well, many practices, we can't guarantee this, but many practices across the country will gross 20% better the first year. So you can do that also. Keeping everything in-house. Don't refer. Although some of the referrals you got to do. Um, that will lead to your favor. So be aware of that. But unfortunately, some of the first-time buyers have to experience losing a practice because it didn't work out and somebody else comes in and then they'll understand that they should have made the move. Especially when you're buying real estate, you have a lot of moving parts together. If most of those moving parts fit, well, you should definitely be behind the practice most likely. Of course, that's my opinion. You want to talk to yours, your professionals and getting their opinion. But that's how I feel. If you're close, you spend a little bit more, 10%, 12% more. In fact, there's one of the attorneys I know. He says, what does it matter? You spend 10 12% more, 15% more. You're going to make it back because you're buying an entity that is growing. So that's his take on it. But anyway, we're here to advise you, here to give you help. Sellers, be patient with your uh, buyers. Uh, it takes them a while sometimes to come around. But you were in their shoes one day. All right, thank you. We'll see you now, guys. See you, team.